Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Brad Cartier. Hello, Victor. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here. Now, Brad, you and I have known each other for a number of years, and you've been investing in real estate in particular, focused on a couple of different asset classes. Before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me on, Victor. I'm a longtime listener, so this is uh, this is really special. So um, I got my, my start in real estate about 15 years ago, buying my first uh, rental property. Turned out it was a terrible investment, but a great ed- education, uh, as these things uh, typically are in, in the start. Since developed a portfolio of about 150 different types of rentals, from short-term to medium-term to long-term. And I'm currently a partner in uh, Blair Capital Asset Management, and we build missing middle multifamily in secondary markets around the Ottawa area. Fabulous. So the missing middle is one of these things that's been talked about, and that is that gap between, let's say, the larger projects, maybe the larger high-rise buildings, and the small duplex, triplex properties that would sit on a single lot. And a lot of communities have zoning to have higher density, but for whatever reason, communities have been very slow to embrace that. Why don't you define a little bit what we mean by the missing middle and where the opportunity lies and what you've been working on? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, very simply put, missing middle, um, it's it describes the pre-World War II type of housing that, like you mentioned, includes, you know, modest duplexes, triplexes, row homes, you know, there's no there's no set number of units, but it's usually referred to anywhere between two and fourteen units. Small courtyard apartments, small multifamily, denser types of housing that fit within a low rise community. These housing units are generally compatible in scale with single family neighborhoods, so they can be intertwined into these low rise neighborhoods. If you think of housing on a scale, the far left you have your single family homes on one lot in the suburbs, and then on the far right you have your high rise condos that are in urban markets and very high density, there's there's something in the middle there. And I love showing a picture of, uh, whenever I'm describing this, I always show a picture of Vancouver where you see the 100-story condos in downtown and off in the distance, you see the, the suburbs with the single-family homes. And it's very easy to tell that you're, you're missing something in the middle there. And in North America, post-World War II, we favored the suburbs with the mass adoption of the automobile and urban sprawl. And we've completely negle- neglected the missing middle. And uh, to this day, you know, if you look at... Uh, statistics from the National Association of Home Builders, we are extremely underbuilt in this asset class. So it also presents uh, an opportunity. There is a sense that for rent, you're competing with a very highly amenitized product, those high-rise buildings that have the pool, the gym, all of those other features that a smaller building that might be 10 to 15 units simply can't afford to offer because the cost would be too high on a per unit basis it's not the same as a single family home living experience either. So you're definitely in an apartment, but in an apartment with no amenities. How do you overcome that objection with tenants? We haven't seen that very much. And as I mentioned, Victor, we're in secondary markets. um, So we don't build missing middle in urban markets where there would be that type of competition. We're in communities that are 50,000 population and less. So you don't tend to see that type of competition. And we chose those secondary and tertiary markets on purpose. And that's part of the reason, but there are other reasons. The vacancy rates now are so low that there's very little optionality for uh, for renters. 
Um, so we're just not seeing that in our in our leasing that folks are upset that there's not a rooftop pool or, or anything like that. Um, missing middle, be, just given the the footprint, tend to be a little bit bigger in size to sort of your traditional apartment living in the urban markets. So you do get it's sort of that in between the single family home size and you know the the 300 square foot studio in in downtown Montreal. So you do get a little bit more space. You know the the average size of the the units that we're building are two to three bedroom around 1200 square feet. So they're definitely on the larger end of, of those uh, asset types. So you do get that additional space, you get the backyard. Um, you know, we provide storage and workshops and things like that in, in the backyard, but you don't get those, like you mentioned, the higher end amenities, uh, like a gym and a pool and things like that. When we talk about doing due diligence on an opportunity, there's three things that come into play always. There is the specifics of the submarket what's happening in the submarket from a supply demand perspective. There's the team managing the project. And then there's the specifics of the deal. You always look at all three of those. And we've often historically disqualified some of those satellite communities because it felt like they didn't have the same demand as the urban core. And what you're saying now, or what I'm hearing, is that that demand is there, where traditionally, maybe it wasn't. What's changed, in your opinion? Uh, great question, Victor. And obviously, real estate is hyper-local, so it just completely depends on what market uh, you're focusing on. Like I said, we're focused on markets around the Ottawa area, where we're seeing strong outward migration to these communities in search of affordability. They're also very old communities, so they've been around for a long time. So the rental stock that's there, the very the little amount of rental stock that is available in these small communities is very old stock, so the quality is low. So us building new, we definitely have a leg up. And overall, our, our vacancy rates across our portfolio is under under one percent. So we chose those markets specifically for that reason. Uh, we provide a new B plus asset class and a new construction, and we're finding very strong demand. And I can't speak for other secondary and tertiary markets uh, elsewhere, but we just looked at the rent, rental stock and knew that there was an opportunity to fill a niche that wasn't there. One of the things that we've struggled with whenever we've looked at those types of opportunities is because the existing rental stock is so old. The rent per square foot is also quite low, and you're now entering the market with brand new product that needs to demand a much higher rent per square foot in order to even justify the new construction, and it's hard to find the rent comps that would justify building that new, and so it almost takes a leap of faith to say, okay, I'm going to build it, and they're going to be willing to pay that much higher rent per square foot in order to get into a new product. Uh, what's been your experience? Um, we've seen some comps before we've developed in some of these markets. And, uh, uh, you know, at least compared to Ottawa, the the rental comps are actually not as low as you might think, or the, the, the disparity between the actual urban market and the secondary market is actually uh, not that big. And part of that is jobs. Uh, you, you know, Ottawa very well, Victor, it's, you know, government and tech. Um, so we have a very strong, um, you know, our average, uh, Average household income in the area is similar to, to other uh, larger markets as well. So uh, very strong job market, very consistent. We did have some comps uh, in some of these markets. There were some B plus, A minus uh, properties that we were able to get some comps on, but there is a bit of a leap, leap of faith. But once you have that data from the first build that you're doing, you you have that uh, case study for, for the next ones that you're doing. Very interesting. Now, we've heard that government's trying to provide more incentives to develop product in that missing middle category, whether it's reductions in development charges or simplification of the site plan process, things that would 
lower the barrier to entry. What have you seen? Uh, is it helping? Is it enough to justify those investments? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's very not, it's not too often, Victor, that we talk about tailwinds that developers are are, are facing when it comes to regulations and zoning. But uh, finally, uh, finally, governments are wising up to the fact that one of the only ways to solve affordability and supply is to build more. That's just. It's just as simple as that. Um, the more you build, the, there's downward pressure on prices uh, as you increase the supply. So uh, like you said, there's a whole bunch of uh, regulatory and zoning tailwinds that have come down the pipe. Uh, one of the first one was in California a couple of years ago with SB9, where they essentially upzone the entire state on a, on an R1 lot, which is 80% of North America's R1 zone, meaning you can only build one unit on one lot. Uh, you could now build up to three in California. And recently, Ontario took a similar step. Unfortunately, there were some environmental aspects of that bill that I do disagree with. I, um, I, I, I was very happy to see that essentially what the Ontario government did was upzone to three units. So now by legal right, you are allowed to build three units on an R, R1 lot. You still have to adhere to, to setbacks and building code and all that kind of stuff, but you don't have to go through the lengthy and expensive rezoning process, which as you know, it costs a lot of money. And that's for the smaller unit. So it really is a tailwind for missing middle multifamily. They also reduced, you no longer have to go through site plan application under 10 units. Um, so that saves you a whole bunch of soft costs that you normally uh, normally would have. So I, I, I think, and I'm hopeful that uh, over the coming years that, you know, the, the YIMBY movement is going to, um, you know, uh, overtake the NIMBY movement. And uh, in other words, you know, we'll be saying yes uh, to, to more housing options, reducing red tape. Uh, there was a very interesting study um, uh, by the uh, National Multi-Housing Council in the U.S. Uh, around the costs of regulatory the regulatory costs on developers, and it was upwards of forty percent of a of a development that was, you know, when you when you factor in fees and development costs and uh, rezoning charges and all that, you know, forty percent of of your your costs is is a lot when you you haven't even put a shovel in the ground. So I think governments are starting to realize that they have to reduce that red tape, with still with guardrails. No one's saying unfettered construction and and all that, but. I think there's some very strong tailwinds for developers who are looking at missing middle multifamily because there is this deregulation movement across North America that's happening. When you think about what's expensive for a city, it's building roads, building more schools, building infrastructure. And as cities sprawl, you just add more and more of that cost, not just at the beginning, but forever, where if you can increase density within the urban core, within areas that are already developed, you can, in fact, get better return on that investment that might have been made 50 or 100 years ago. So in that sense, it almost comes for free. So if you can offer a developer who has a property that's zoned R1, or maybe you're doing an assembly of a few properties, and now you, instead of getting three units, you can get nine or 10, that starts to become more interesting. And ultimately, the city grows its tax base, and they don't really have to spend a lot, if, if any, to get that additional tax revenue. Absolutely. And, and and it's very difficult to argue from a NIMBY perspective, you know, with that kind of modest densification, which is exactly what the missing middle is. Um, part of the tail, part of the re deregulation on, you know, smaller 
builds at the city level is that development fees are also reduced to try and encourage uh, development. Um, so that, that is going to be unfortunate for cities because they're going to be able to collect less development fees, which are significant. However, like you mentioned, underutilized plots of land within the city limits that are that are ripe for this type of modest densification will then increase the tax base over the long term. So I think you know the 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 city coffers will catch up. I know a lot of cities aren't happy right now with the uh, with the Ontario uh, the new Ontario law because it's cutting their development fees quite significantly, which which is what they use to build those roads and schools and and et cetera. Well, I think part of the argument for cutting those fees is that the cities are not, in fact, spending the money; they're just putting them in reserve. Which, arguably, if they're not going to spend the money, even though they're charging the development community those extra fees, if they're not putting that money to work then they're just erecting a barrier to development rather than spending the money on the infrastructure for what it's really intended to do. Mm -hmm. Well, Brad, this is very interesting for the folks who want to connect. What's the best way? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Brad Karche, and I also write a free weekly uh, real estate newsletter at briefcase.email. So check it out. And we write write a lot about missing middle and zoning and all things that matter to real estate entrepreneurs. Awesome. Well, Brad, love the perspective, love what you're doing. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Brad Cartier on LinkedIn and get a copy of the briefcase newsletter. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.